Hello, 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 everyone. This is Hannah Kavanagh speaking, and welcome to yet another amazing episode of Tea for Three. I am here with two Tea for Three veterans that have been on this podcast before to talk about politics, which, hint, hint, might be the topic of discussion. We'll see. All right. So the first guest that I'm going to be introducing is a sophomore majoring in media with a concentration in journalism. He has an awesome journalism Instagram profile called um, Tamshuri Yamit, check it out. Uh, TikTok dancing aficionado, Macaulay Peer Mentor, a true friend and cheerleader. I would love to give a warm welcome to Michael Tam. How you doing, Michael? Hey, Hannah. Oh my God. It's so nice to see you again. Uh, we The last time we talked, you know, we were still trying to get through this pandemic and now it's 2021, new year, new me. We're still trying to get through it. Oh, we're still trying to get through it, but you know, uh, hopefully, you know, we're looking on the brighter side of things. And, you know, it's just a pleasure to be on for another episode of Tea for Three. So thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on board. Thanks for agreeing to be on the show again. This is awesome. And so the next guest that I'm going to be introducing is a sophomore majoring in econ, the resident life commissioner at Hunter USG. Hello. Hamilton fanatic and the epitome of a social butterfly. Also a good friend of mine. I'd love to give a warm welcome to Rafael Garcia. How you doing, Raf? Hey, I'm doing great. Great to be here, Hannah. Um, I guess it's been a while since we last caught up, but I actually changed my major to poli sci now. I guess that like hey. fits the spell, I guess, almost. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. All right. So <laughs> Thank you. are you ready to sip some amazing tea? I'm ready. All right. So uh, who wants to go first in terms of describing what tea they have, the notes that are present in the tea, as well as rating it? I guess I can go first as the amateur tea connoisseur here. Okay, cool. This is my go-to tea uh, since freshman year of college. I drink it like every single night to kind of de-stress from school. So it's my favorite. It's from the Bigelow brand. It's the superior brand of tea. Let me just say that. Aww. And um, it's chamomile tea. So let me just take a sip. I think the first word that comes to mind for me is cozy. It's gentle. You know, it's, it's just like nature. You know, I'm just picturing this luscious green field and like animals roaming across the field and birds you know, singing in the air. There's a rainbow in the background. It's a blue sky, no clouds, a really bright sun. That's just what I'm picturing with this tea. Wow. That's wild. That's amazing. <laughs> and on a scale from one to 10, like what would you rate the tea? Oh, an 11. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. Now I need to try some of that on the show. All right. So, Raf, what tea do you have today? Oh, um, I have here some Asian pear harmony tea. Uh, this is not my go-to tea, sorry to say, but this is a tea that from taking a few sips of it, I realized I can use to help me calm down a bit, you know, warm me up after like a really cold day outside because like the weather's nasty out. Uh and yeah, you know, just overall, just like calm, ease the nerves down, you know, just like have a fun and chill day. Nice. So I guess what I would rate this tea would probably be, I don't know, a seven, probably. Seven? Yeah, I think nice. that sounds about right. Not bad. Um, yeah. I have ginger black tea that my friend Dylan from high school uh, got me. Shout out to Dylan. Um, 
And I tried it before, but I'm just going to try it again. Paint a picture. I mean, God, the ginger, it's so, I really, I've been really into ginger tea recently. It's so refreshing. It's a nice wee pick-me-up. And this tea in particular, the ginger isn't too pungent, but it still like dances on the edge of the palate. So overall, yeah, I just really love it. Um, I love the sensation. I love the taste. It's kind of de uh, deceiving because it smells like black tea, but it tastes like ginger. And you're like, whoa. So on a scale from one to 10. Black tea. Yeah. <laughs> so can, on a scale from one to 10, considering it takes you on a journey, I'm going to give it a nine. All right. So now that we, wow. yeah, it is pretty high. Um, all right. So now that we sip the tea, we are going to be spilling the deets on, you guessed it, folks, politics. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. But here's the thing. We're going to be talking about everything that's happened post-election. So that's including, um, the spread of misinformation that's continuing to be rampant in this country right now. Um, the storming of the Capitol inauguration and what we hope to see in the Biden administration. So the first question that I have for you guys is, um, so let's go back in time, right? To the start of November, right? Election season. So what did you think the outcome of the 2020 presidential election was going to be and why? Um, I guess I could take the first one on this. Um, if I'm being very honest, I actually anticipated that Trump was going to win the 2020 election uh, based on a number of factors. I thought he was going to win Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Florida. I really wasn't expecting like an upset Democratic victory in Arizona, but I'm so happy that that did occur. Um, it was not surprising me that Florida ended up going to Trump. That to me was like, yep, yeah, that's automatic. I thought that was like almost a shoe in for Trump. Especially since like I spent five months there uh, earlier this summer and like I got to like get a political feel and, like how everything was going on, you know, very Trumpist area. But uh, overall, like I think Donald Trump's hold on the country I thought was strong enough to propel him towards a second term. And just the fact that like, you know, lots of people came out and voted, lots of people came out in support of the left wing, lots of people came out wanting and advocating for social change, you know, phone banking, all of these things, you know. Uh, that are really important to forwarding our democracy just came out and I'm really happy that that happened you know um, so overall like it was kind of like not what I expected but in, like in a good way I'd say interesting all right what about you Michael what were you thinking at the time you know I agree with everything that Raf said but except for the last point and I want to explain why because I feel like for me as much you know how we know it was so anxiety-inducing just to have to wait like a week after election day for the official results to declare um, Joe Biden as the president-elect. I feel that the results in them um, themselves they trickled in the way they were supposed to. Right? I think a lot of the major news outlets expected that on election night, Trump looked like he was going to be reelected as president, and that's because you know. A lot of um, a lot of supporters of Joe Biden or those who voted Democratic this this election season, um, a lot of them voted by mail, right? We had this increase in um, voter voter turnout because of the fact that many states eased up on their regulations for um, voting by mail, and so you know on election night, a, a lot of the people and a lot of the votes that we were being counted um, among the you you know across the states. 
those votes were going to Trump because that is basically Trump's base. Those people who did not believe that the, the voting by mail was um, a reliable system. They claimed voter fraud. They claimed election integrity concerns. Um, so that's why you saw, you know, Trump ahead in a lot of these key states like Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Florida. Well, Florida inevitably went to Trump. But, you know, after a week of counting these votes that were coming in because, you know, they were mail-in ballots, we saw Biden start to pull ahead in these key states. And then all of these major news outlets started, you know, declaring Biden as the victor in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, which inevitably put him over the 270 mark. And that's why he is our president today. Through that, I mean, I, okay, I kind of, for me, it was a mixed bag. There is some days where I'm like, okay, Biden is definitely going to win. Like he has this in the bag. And then there's some days I'm like, I'm not sure. Trump might have this in the bag too. And I kept flip-flopping back and forth because, you know, a lot of my friends are liberal. So a lot of times I would just think to myself, like, wow, so many people are going to vote. There's a whole other different demographic that I'm just not as aware of that is are the diehard Trump supporters, right? And I felt I felt like I was constantly reminded of that when I would go to upstate New York. I would see Trump banners everywhere. And that really freaked me out. It's like, are we being too overconfident about this? I'm not sure. And then um, when I was poll working on election day, I, it was mainly Trump supporters that were coming in to vote. And I would get really scared. And then I would have to tell myself, it's fine. A lot of the Democrats, they voted by mail, like you said, Michael, and they, a lot of them voted early. It's election day. It's fine. And I was really on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like, I really didn't know what to expect. That was a wild ride for sure. Um, but thankfully Biden won that election, right? So following that win, like how did you expect Trump to respond over those coming months? If I'm being very honest, Hannah, like based on what you were saying, um, it's definitely the case that I still think for the most part, we are a little bit too overconfident in our victory in the case where Biden won the White House. I'm like, oh yeah, Biden won the White House. It's a brand new day for America. You know, we should move on with this, like rhetoric of unity and you know reuniting the country yeah. but like you guys were just saying as well trump supporters were very passionate people you know in upstate new york and northern florida and like all places across the country you see trump supporters still going out in droves still like uh organizing together and still like uh keeping that base alive there's a very large nationalistic sentiment in this country that i feel like our current leaders are too busy sweeping under mm -hmm. the rug they're saying like oh look at this we're going to unite as a country rather than actually addressing the issues at hand that a lot of voters just feel like they're just flat out being over ignored right so i really think it's a matter of like we have to understand that we have lots of demons in this country and i don't necessarily think that those demons are exactly going to be addressed by sweeping them under the rug and just saying oh let's just unite and forget about everything else because that kind of rhetoric doesn't work, especially given America's history. Mm -hmm. As for Trump actually accepting the election results, I mean, I think that just goes into the point made earlier, right? Like people aren't going to accept an election in which the election results kind of just mean that it's going to ignore all of their needs and, and just outright claim that their champion, who was Donald Trump, is going to just be the loser. 
both Trump and his base can't accept something like that. We knew from the get-go, before the election, before the debates even happened, that Trump was most likely not going to accept the, uh, the results of the election. We knew that he was going to try every attempt possible to overturn it. And whatever proceeded from there, all the court cases, all of the things that he tried to contest, all of the actions done by the Republicans in the administration, very inappropriate, first of all. Mm-hmm. But second of all, just outright shows just how deep and just how much that nationalistic sentiment, the demons that we have in the underbelly of our democracy are just there. And we really have no great recourse to address it. And I am very scared about that current in this moment, current in time. For sure. And I guess to, to pick off from that, it still shocks me t- even to this day how 70 you know, million people voted for Trump in this election cycle. Even How does that shock you? I think it shocks me because of what, and I guess we'll get to this later on in the, in the, the podcast episode, but you know, just kind of the things that have unfolded, not only you know, this past year, but also in this past few weeks. You know, we just started 2021, and literally we were all hoping for a new year, you know, better results and whatnot, and mm-hmm. it just came crashing down on the six, right? Um, it, I think Trump, you know, he, his response to the election, quite frankly, I think it was just him being a really big sore loser. Um, and I say that, you know, I say that honestly, because president, former President Trump has always been in a position of power, right? From his days back of you know hosting and being the you know the boss on the apprentice or the celebrity apprentice, he was always the one making the calls, firing people. Mm-hmm. And in this election season, he wasn't in that position of power, in my opinion. He was actually on the verge of getting fired. And you know, it the results are the way they should be. I think a lot of people these past four years. We're tired of hearing his rhetoric. We're tired of hearing his criticism, his uh, plain out falsehoods that he was just perpetuating on his Twitter account, which is now permanently banned. Uh, I just want to make a note of that. But but yeah, it's just, I think with a new administration now, it sounds it seems like we're kind of turning the page. We are starting a new chapter in U.S. history. And... You know, Trump reacted the way he wanted to. Um, he kept perpetuating these lies, um, trying to stir up his support base. And that is one thing that um, he struggled with. He struggled to expand his base in the way that he should have if he wanted to get reelected. Instead, he kept being himself. He kept perpetuating these lies. He kept claiming voter fraud, you know, election integrity concerns and all of that. And so, yeah, it was just, Sad to see how his administration, you know, ended their time in the Oval Office. But, you know, it is what it is. And now we just have to move forward. No, for sure. You guys, both of you guys made such like amazing points. Honestly, though, I wish I could say I was surprised by how he handled the election results following Biden's win. But I'm genuinely not considering the fact that I think... Throughout, like, this is including speeches pertaining to State of the Union addresses, campaigns, um, press speeches, that sort of thing. Apparently, he's told 20,000 lies throughout his four years. 
So considering that, I genuinely wasn't surprised, unfortunately, by how he handled the election following that. But you also you brought up a really good point, Raph, that, you know, even to this day where Democrats are still, you know, that the power that Trump still has over middle America, right. In terms of Trumpism. And it's even gotten to the point, I think Trump was even talking about establishing a political party called the Patriot party. The Patriots party. Yeah. What honestly is going to, it's going to come out of if Trump actually decides to go back on a campaign trail and creating a new party is that he's going to take so many people out from the Republican tent and definitely either expand his voter base significantly or just completely take away power from the Republicans, in which we're just going to give the Democrats a significant population majority in terms of votes. So that's either going to be political suicide for him and the Republicans as a whole, or that's going to just completely shift how politics are spoken about, how we talk about politics and how Republicans then at that point have to talk about politics, which in a way we've already seen a prototype for in the last four years. And that's the Oh, that's the scenario that I'm most afraid of, honestly. No, for sure. It's funny because I was going to ask, I was going to get into Trumpism later, but I feel like now is the perfect time to bring this up. So I know you briefly touched upon it, Raf, but I want to hear from both of you guys. What do you think will be the long-term effects of Trumpism on both the Republican Party and America at large? What do you guys think? I guess I can go first because um, I really, I feel like I can't say much because it. this will all be you know, determined on whether or not Trump gets convicted by the Senate in the coming weeks and months, right? Because if he gets convicted by the Senate, then uh, Trump is banned from running for any political office in the future, right? So I think, you know, it all depends on that. Um, How likely the Senate will vote to convict Trump will depend on how many Republicans in, in the current Senate feel that what Trump did in the past four years and even, you know, in the first few weeks of this year um, you know, played a factor into the downfall and the fallout of his administration. Uh, we've already seen some kind of party splits um, within the Republican Party, including like Mitt Romney or Lisa Murkowski, right? But in order to, to convict Trump of what he did, uh, you need two thirds of the Senate. And that means at least 17 Republicans need to side with Democrats in order to convict Trump. Uh, how likely that would happen? I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, we we saw former Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. He expressed you know, on the Senate floor these past few days that Trump directly fed lies to his supporters, and that was the result of you know the siege on the Capitol, right? And I guess we'll talk about that later on. Yeah, but it just it just comes to show you that I think as much as we tend to think that Trump, you know, it's unsurprising the way that he acts. It's just his legacy is so unpredictable. We really don't know what's going to happen these next few weeks in terms of whether he gets convicted or not. Um, if he does get convicted, then, you know, I, I feel in all honesty, I feel democracy is kind of saved, although there's still a lot more that needs to be done, especially with the current administration under Biden. He has a lot of work to do. You know, Trump left him a lot of things to to resolve. Um, but we saw, you know, him, we saw President Biden, he signed some executive orders already. So it seems like he's off to 17. Right? Yeah, 17, right? It's he's off to a really fast start. Um, how long he can keep this up? I also don't know about that. But you know, he's actually I feel like we've been lacking this 
sort of genuine, respectful, you know, this person that we can look up to and not have to cringe at every single time that he speaks. Um, he's not criticizing the media. He's not, you know, calling out Democrats because they are socialists, they're radicals and whatnot. I was just so sick and tired of hearing those sort of statements from the past administration. And it's just so refreshing to have a new administration and just to be able to hear some someone who has integrity. You know what I mean? I agree with that statement. You know, um, you know, like we need integrity in our democracy. We definitely need somebody who you can actually look at and be like, okay, that's a leader. That's someone who we can look up to and say, all right, you know what? He's I may not always agree with his politics, you know, a play like speaking to the other side, but they're all but then also look at him and be like, okay, at least I can trust him to talk to Putin and not be totally manhandled by him, right? Uh, like that's, I guess, on one way in terms of foreign policy. But I guess like uh, in terms of the other, like it also sets a good example for past precedents and it also sets a good example for the future. I was looking at a video earlier uh, in which the three presidents, like the three past presidents, Clinton, Bush, and Obama were like, kind of just like talking with each other. I think it was in like a rose garden or something. Uh, about like some challenges they knew as they were president, like uh, they hope they have for the future and the hope they have for the office of the president as a whole. And I thought it was very refreshing just to listen to like three very, in my opinion, very wise politics, like three very wise people who knew, who had a lot of experience uh, in, in like, you know, in their past positions and like throughout their lives and uh, in politics in which they were able to just like lay down some wisdom for the future. And I don't really expect Donald Trump to be within that kind of circle of being able to do something like that. Uh, but I do feel that Joe Biden is able to do that uh, quite well. No, for sure. Having Biden as president is this first step towards some emblem of normalcy that's been missing since the end of 2016. Think about it. Trump has broken all of the precedents. Like, for example, not showing up to the inauguration, which their last time a president didn't show up to an inauguration, I think it was like, um, in the 1860s. It's been a long time. So just having a normal president that is eloquent, that doesn't incite violence and chaos, it's just so refreshing, which sounds really sad to say, but it's true. Um, and I'm sure you, I mean, it seems like you guys both agree with me on that one. But um, yeah, I was going to actually ask you guys as well, how has like these past four years, like the Trump era, has it changed how you view your American identity? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know where else to begin other than the fact that, like, I literally grew up. I literally became of, like, somewhat cognizant age when Trump started to become, like, coming into, like, the mainstream and the limelight. Because anytime I would hear something about politics, anytime I would hear something about, like, the world or about, like, people's identities, it would always be somehow in relation to Donald Trump and, like, the nationalist rhetoric that is occurring in this country. And I think for the longest time, like, growing up, you know, uh, being someone who's, like, a young kid in high school, I would always ask myself, like, am I truly American? Do I really belong here? You know, what do my ethnicities, you know, like, I'm, I'm biracial, I'm half Latino, and I'm half, um, half Asian, uh, Filipino, Chinese. Uh, does someone like me truly belong in this place that we call the United States? And according to the rhetoric from the other political side, the answer at times would kind of seem to be no. And I honestly was very afraid of that. 
it even came to the point where it's okay to talk political discourse in which the discourse is just other words to describe someone's right to exist. And I found that a lot in like, um, um, like upper class liberal circles. I found that often in like, uh, sometimes like white liberal elites can sometimes be as racist or even more racist than those on the other side. But I'm just saying like the kind of rhetoric that people could use in the past few years to describe one another is very harsh. It's very degrading. And at times it really like sometimes makes me and I'm sure lots of other people think like, wow, maybe I don't truly belong in this country. And it's that it's statements like that, which I truly grapple with for so many years, because it's just like, no, I was born in this country. My parents gave up everything to come live in this country, to raise me and have me in this country. If America was, if they didn't want me to be American, they wouldn't have had me here, right? So then like, it's stuff like that that just makes me think like, okay, I, I do truly deserve a spot in this country. I am an American citizen. I do have every right. So everybody else born in this country has every right to speak for who they are, you know, define their own narratives and just like speak out to be whoever they want to be. Yeah, I agree. And I guess to complete to completely be honest with you, Hannah, I really <laughs> I don't really have an answer to that question for you, only because I feel like I only started investing myself in what was going on in American politics until fairly recently. You know, Trump got elected when I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, I was just really not worrying about the world. You know, I was just kind of focused on you know, school. And I I know that sounds so cringy, but I honestly just didn't really, you know, focus too much on politics. And I think, you know, I I think it's also because I knew there were some things that um, Trump was doing and I kind of just sort of shut that out. I didn't really want to talk about it, didn't really want to hear about it. Um, And then like, you know, when I started college and just, you know, Trump started doing a lot of these, these crazy things, um, it really made me start to question, I guess, you know, like, where do I fall? You know, what is my role in society? What, like, do I really identify as a, an American? You know, can I be proud in calling myself an American when this person in office literally, you know, is speaking of totally different ideals from the ones that I have? And, you know, I, now that he's out of office, um, you know, I, I just really don't have an answer to it. Uh, and I apologize for that. But, you know, it's just, no, it's okay. I feel like don't worry about it. as much as these four years have been, you know, it feels like four years have been an eternity. I also feel like, you know, now that it's over, it, it was like, oh, my God, it went by so quickly. You know, I was pre- I was planning on having to suffer for another four years of him in office. But now it's like now that he's he's gone, it's like it makes me question, like, what is what are we going to do now? You know? What is Saturday Night Live going to be like? There, you know, Alec Baldwin is not going to play Trump anymore. And after now, like, how am I supposed to live? Larry David's not going to play yeah, Bernie Sanders anymore. We're so, it's so sad. Jim Carrey playing <laughs> Biden for the next four years. And I got to say, Jim Carrey does a really good Joe Biden. It's, it's amazing. Wonderful. He is so good. I love it when he just puts on the sunglasses and he has, like, the gun. He's just like, pop, 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 pop. Yeah, it's, so it's, just, it's like... It's like what you said, said Hannah. It's like this return. It's like an emblem of normalcy. But we haven't experienced normalcy in so long. It's like, I, I'm going to forget how to act. It's kind of like with this pandemic. When we all return to in-person learning, I know I'm going to be the one with that elbow, you know, the elbow shake. And then someone's going to want to shake my hand. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm forgetting how to act. But, you know, it's 
it's crazy and um we just gotta figure it out in the next few months or maybe years but um yeah i'm just like uh i'm just at a loss for words no i feel you bro i'm just gonna end up like doing this like through a screen and it's just gonna be like <laughs> yeah that like that elbow handshake like oh my, like oh my bad i gotta offer you my hand bro <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I get I get what you're saying, Michael. It's a really complicated question. I think analyzing your American identity, especially when when you're not white, but also when your parents are immigrants, it's so much to unpack. But me, at least for me, with my experience, like I've always felt I've felt like at odds with my American identity because I really do see myself more as Scottish than as American since I grew up with like a, my mom's Scottish. So I kind of grew up in a Scottish household. It was hard for me to click with American culture and, and my American identity anyway. And then when Trump got into office and we had him for four years, it was even like harder for me to really like grapple with those feelings, especially when I would travel abroad because, you know, people would hear my American accent. They'll be like, yeah, so Trump, as if I'm like the effing spokesperson of America. And I'm like, I never I couldn't vote for him anyway. And even if I could, I wouldn't have in the first place. So I, the fact that like, even my accent- Ridiculous, he takes over all the airways and then like- No, yeah, for sure. I mean, the past four years, like all people heard about was Trump, Trump, Trump. And then, you know, when I travel abroad, when you travel abroad, you have an American accent. They just associate you with Trump. Yeah. So, and that's not what any of us- Yeah, because all they see is Trump on the news all the time. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so for me, you know, the fact that people started to associate Trump like the Trump ideology with America and granted we were never really viewed in the the best light anyway before he came into office let alone like during his time so for me it's like well I don't really stand with a lot of these ideologies so can I really say that I feel American at that time like not really and it's something that I still kind of grapple with sometimes but um I was going to, yeah, and I felt like I grappled with it even more when, you know, the siege of the Capitol took place. And I would see photos of like, what, there was one photo of a guy holding a Confederate flag, just like waltzing down the halls of the Capitol building. Yeah, and These are like yeah. the ideas that these yeah. people have. So I guess to segue into that, like where, because this is a really insane moment in American history, like they'll put this in the history books. But when, so that's why I want to ask this question. They are. Yeah. Where were you? Where, it's crazy. It's like our own Cuban Missile Crisis. I know. <laughs> oh, geez. So where were you guys the moment that this was all unfolding? And how did you feel as it was happening? Well, I think for me, uh, I just actually spent the whole entire day, like most of the afternoon, with my friend Jake. Jake and I like were off our phones most of the day. We didn't really like look at the news or anything. And we got back to our dorms around like four or so. And I told him, I'm going to go take a nap. You know, I'm really tired. I'm walking in my room. As I enter my room, uh, my, uh, a friend of mine called me and he's like, hey, Raph, do you see the news right now? Do you see what's happening in D.C.? And I'm like, no, Joe, what's happening in D.C.? You know, I'm sure like I don't I'll, I'm sure I'll look at it later. And he's like, no, Raph, turn on the news. It's really bad. And so I didn't like I look at my phone. I just Google like D.C. And it just says like police. uh police curfew is installed for DC for 6 p.m. I'm like, oh, so there's a police curfew. And he's like, no, 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 no. Look at the news. Look what's happening at the Capitol. So then I find NBC. I flip on the news. And the images I saw across my screen in this little room right here in Midtown Manhattan, I was kind of just like, what am I looking at? Is this Colombia? Philippines? 
Tunisia? What country am I living in? This isn't the country I know. This isn't the values I grew up with. This isn't the respect for the, probably for me, like some of the most like important grounds, most important buildings in our whole country, just being desecrated before my eyes in my own living room. I literally saw that. I'm just like, well, America really likes dealing with terrorists abroad and shooting up lots of lots of countries. Well, guess what? We have our own domestic terrorists right here. Let's deal with them. But of course, the, uh, the American police and the National Guard and whoever are not going to just deal with a bunch of white people. They're like, oh, you know, just a bunch of white guys. Just come right in. Yeah, just walk right into Speaker Pelosi's office. You know, it's fine. Like the police response is absolutely inappropriate for domestic terrorists. We got to call this for what it is. I do feel for these people sometimes. I do feel how they've been lied to, misinformed, and maleducated over the last few years. But at the same time, this is the, the most criminal activity I have ever seen in modern history. They talk about the Black Lives Matter protests being criminal. They talk about Antifa. At least Black Lives Matter and Antifa didn't storm the Capitol like building. They were, you know what I mean? Like I, the I first went insurrection to, like, in American yeah. history. Oh, no, you go. Sorry. And then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Um, and then like, and then like the right wing media, these fuckers on Fox News have the audacity to come up and say, "Look at these patriots. They are truly people exercising their First Amendment rights." I'm like, they are, but at the same time, they're not patriots. This is not patriotic actions. To them, that might seem patriotic, but then in that case, we need to redefine what patriotism yeah. means. This is not patriotism. This is nationalism. This is extremism. You know, it's that discourse that really bothers me in America because it's still happening. Fox News is going to bash Joe Biden and the left for the next four years, while at the same time praising activities that and during Donald Trump's time they call patriotic, you know, hopeful for our country, um, a truly American, America first, all these things, all these images, they're just co-options to in order to oppress us. They are co-opting certain language, which should be freeing us and utilizing it to garner our own oppression so we can silence ourselves even more and even further. That is the ultimate goal of what Trump's America would have been. And to see that on a screen, to realize that, to me, as a eligible voter of somebody who wants to raise kids in this country was absolutely horrifying. I cried when I saw that. That was ridiculous. That was horrible. I went on a whole parade right there, but like, damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a funny story, um, you know, where I was on the day that, you know, those domestic terrorists sieged the Capitol. So these past few weeks and months, I've been having a really poor sleep schedule. Um, I'm just going to admit it right now. And so I kind of like, I think I slept through when President Trump was kind of, you know, speaking to his supporters and how he was like, we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to, you know, we're going to protest and whatnot. And I, I missed that uh, in the morning. But when I woke up in the afternoon, I was actually getting uh, prepared to go out with a friend um, because we were going to go shopping. And I, I eventually hanged out with her that day, but I remember I was getting dressed and I turned on the TV to ABC and uh, it, a special report was happening by ABC News. George Stephanopoulos came on and was like, the protesters have 
entered the Capitol. They have, you know, barged their way in or whatever. And I was like, what is going on? I'm literally about to go about my day. It was a sunny, it was, you know, a cool day. I was going to go get some shopping done. And then this comes on on the TV and I'm like, oh man. So I kind of had to like, I think I, I texted my friend. I was like, you know, give me an hour. I got to see what's happening on, on the TV screen right now. I got to process this. Um, and it's just, it was crazy to see all of these images, the live footage of these news outlets, you know, filming these people in the Capitol, storming their way into the Capitol building. You know, you said beforehand, uh, there was one person holding a Confederate flag. I think someone took uh, Nancy Pelosi's, you know, lectern from the from the floor of the house. And so it was just, it was crazy to see the fallout that day. And then Trump, you know, posting that pre-recorded message, I think, you know, early evening saying, we love you, but please go home. I'm like, that is the most hypocritical state. No, I shouldn't say hypocritical. It was bullshit. It was bullshit. He only sounded like a zombie when he said that. He was like, like, the message he put on Twitter, he was praising them and then like, you know, using words of encouragement. But then do you remember the uh, forced apology that he sent out later on in, in the evening? He was kind of just like, uh, actually saying like, these people should not be there. They are criminals. But he sounded like a zombie. He sounded like he was literally reading off a teleprompter. I'm just like, what a hypocrite. <laughs> what a hypocrite. No, exactly. Because he, like, here's the thing. He speaks these people's language, right? Yeah. He knows the words that need to be said in order to get them to do what he wants. And so when he's saying things like, you can't, like, back down, you need to be strong, what else is that implying other than, like, excess force or violence that's just unnecessary? You know what I'm saying? So for me... I mean, yeah, that apology, of course, was clearly bullcrap. But um, yeah, I, honestly, funny enough, Michael, I actually tuned into the same ABC News special report because I love it. ABC News. I watch it like every night. I love George Stephanopoulos. But what happened was that um, so I was just I was actually in my room just jamming, playing guitar. And my mom's like, oh, my Hannah, you have to come like right now. They're storming the Capitol. And I thought, oh, my God, this is crazy. But, but at the, as much as surreal as it was, though, I also oddly enough, like wasn't surprised it wasn't surprising at all no because there was so much political tension leading up to that day um so when i saw it i I mean i it was still surreal to watch and it was still pretty shocking but and and it was also i felt like i had a moment of disassociation because it didn't even feel like it was happening in america even though it it was happening in america I thought I was watching a foreign country. I really thought I was watching a historical newsreel. I was like, I can't believe this is the news. Like right now in 2021. No, that's exact. Like, that's exactly how it felt. And um, the thing that I'm grateful for, though, is that I'm so glad that the um, electoral votes were saved. I'm so glad that they saved those because, you know, if the, if the domestic terrorists stormed the Capitol, and completely like destroyed those electoral votes. It kind of act, acts as more fodder for Donald Trump to claim that the elections are fraudulent and that. So I'm just glad that, that, that that's like the one silver lining. It's like that was saved. And then also like it, things could have been serious. A VP was almost assassinated. I know. Did they you hear about that? Like some- Dang Mike Pence. Yeah, they, they literally were shouting it as they were breaking the windows and like trying to storm through the main, uh, the main door. It was It was crazy. I just... I couldn't believe it. It was truly like, that's how you know Donald Trump and his border base, they're a cult. That's how you know. 
when it's literally just oh, like uh, the one of the main members of the cult is now just like politically ousted by the main one and he's like okay now all of you you crazy lot over there go hang this guy and i'm just i was just thinking i was like who are the gallows for pence or pelosi which one and you know just that thought alone is just so scary it's just so that's an image i don't think i'm going to be able to burn out of my mind you know no that was it was really scary to watch and um it's i think part of it's funny because i was talking to i had an unreleased t for three episode i I had two conservatives on the show and we talked about politics before the election. I, yeah. <laughs> Oy. Um, but they were pretty much, I was, you know, they were saying, Oh, Trump is not going to do anything. Like they were pretty much passing him off as harmless and saying yeah. like, Oh, you know, he probably won't concede, but he's not going to cause any, he's not going to attempt to destroy democracy or anything. Like he's just the president, like whatever, you know, checks and balances. And I thought to myself, uh, I, I don't, I don't know about that, you know, especially because he has so many loyal followers, he could incite them to do anything that he wanted them to do. So, you know what the easiest way is to oppress a group of people, Hannah, like the way, the best way to oppress a group of people, I think, is to make them believe that they are on the winning side. Those people, like those Republicans you interviewed, were saying in confidence that they placed their personal confidence in their lives into the system which we were born with. To them, Trump represented the goodness that could possibly come out of the system. You know, they said checks and balances. Those are things that are supposed to protect us as people, protect our individual rights and our privileges. So if Trump can fool or can make a bunch of people think that they are being act upon in their best interest, that their rights are being protected to the utmost, and that the system somehow drained itself of the swamp and, you know, put out the one ideal victor, you know, then you just bought yourself the entire American lie and turned itself into the truth. That's just something that's just like, you know, that's something that, that's something that dictators did. That's something that like, I don't know, what are we, Hitler, Gaddafi? Yeah, he's an autocrat. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, an autocrat, yeah. For sure. Um, but do you think Trump will be held accountable for his actions, no. like involving the no? I, I mean, no. it, as we were saying, I think it's what Michael said earlier. Just two thirds of uh, the Senate need to vote in favor of impeachment in order to indict Trump and prevent him from running again. Right. Right now, we have an almost exact 50-50 split in the Senate. I believe it's what it's 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 fifty Democrats, fifty Republicans, right? Am I am I right? Or, am I right about that? Or, okay. And then Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker, of course. So slightly uh, Senate in favor of the Democrats. They would literally need to convince seventeen. What was it? Twenty five? No, 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 no. Seventeen more. Seventeen. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Bad, math is not much tongue. <laughs> seventeen more Republicans to be in favor of impeachment. Now, believe it or not, in the last election, in the last congressional election, there were a lot of Trumpists elected to the Senate and to the House of Representatives. It's scary just how much people can pander to Trump's rhetoric and what certain, like what the base in like middle America and the South pandered to in which to elect certain Republican representatives. It's crazy. Have you guys heard of Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates? These people are crazy. And I cannot believe that these people have offices in Congress. They're QAnon conspiracy theorists, right? At least the Lauren. Yeah. 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 They are. They get support.
support from so many QAnon believers. Right. They are gun guns rights activists, like heavy guns rights activists. They outright lie on national TV and they lie to the support. Yeah, no, it's crazy stuff. But um, Michael, like, what do you think? Do you agree with Raf on this one, or do you have a different take? Yeah, you know, I I'm glad that I guess Democrats now have control of both the House and the Senate. I think we were kind of all, you know, really anxious about these runoff elections in Georgia, especially given you know Kelly Leffler and David they. They, they pulled through. Ossoff and Warnock, they pulled through. And I got a, a snippet of, you know, I got, I got the opportunity to, to watch a little bit of the debate between um, between Warnock and Leffler, uh, you know, the night that they had their debate before the election. Um, and uh, it was just such a, a contrast between Warnock, who seemed very passionate about, you know, wanting to get back to work, wanting to improve the lives of everyday Georgians and also, you know, Americans in general, Whereas Leffler kind of just had this very monotonous tone. She didn't seem like she seemed to care about the suffering that so many Americans have faced this past year, especially in, in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and I think the way, you know, there's a reason why Democrats won both runoff elections. It's because of, you know, so many different people came out to vote. And I think a lot of credit goes to um, Stacey Abrams. You know, she empowered and she mobilized the black vote and yes. i mean i feel like a lot of credit goes to her but there have also there also were other people who kind of paved the way to kind of have this record black turnout right um these major hubs in georgia atlanta that kind of pulled through for the democrats in the end um it's, it's interesting you know i really don't know what to expect in the next few weeks when the senate comes to you know, when the impeachment trials in the Senate begin, uh, actually earlier this uh, today, you know, McCon the New York Times reported that McConnell is asking um, for Senate Democrats to postpone the impeachment trials until the first week of February, rather than, you know, having to start them immediately because Pelosi is ready to send these impeachment articles to the Senate floor. It's just a matter of when, right? So, you know, it's, it's crazy to see how many Republicans are still behind, you know, um, the former president. But I feel like, you know, I commend those who have kind of, you know, put their party aside and realize this is not a partisan issue. But this is kind of like, you know, this is like something about humanity. This is much greater than whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. This is literally like people's lives are on the line because of the fact that we've been in such a pol polarized cl political climate these past few years. 
So, you know, it, I, I really don't know what to expect and whatever happens in the next few weeks, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I think back to the day that we recorded our first episode um, for T for Three, you know, talking about, you know, what we were going to, what we thought, you know, was going to happen with the 2020 election. And then right after we, we filmed that episode, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Just think about it. So much news has happened within a single day. Um, and, it, and news is happening yeah. 24-7 now, nowadays. But it's like yesterday's news is so fresh, but also it's it's history even, right? So, you know, it's it just comes to show you, like, I don't know, the next few weeks can mm-hmm. be historic for all we know. Um, it's just, <laughs> it's funny because I think everything that has happened in the past few weeks, in the past few months, even year, like history textbooks needs to update their material. Yeah. Like ASAP, <laughs> you know, there, there's going to be a whole chapter dedicated to just the four years under former President Trump. You know, it, it, it's crazy. I don't know what they're going to test on the AP U.S. history exams, but if if Trump's one of those those like short response questions, I bet a lot of students will have a, you know, a five-page essay that they want to submit. Yeah. No, that's so true. <laughs> it's as if history ended with nine eleven. <laughs> No, it's, yeah. No. No, they... They didn't. No, I wouldn't even see, I wouldn't even see, this is a little tangential, but there was even a point like in eighth grade, I was using textbooks that still didn't have Obama. You know how they had the U.S. presidents at the very end of the textbook? They wouldn't even have Obama in there because they were that old, but they wouldn't get like new textbooks. It was bizarre. <laughs> I know. Oh God. i that's American education for you. What can I say? Um, but let's shift to something that's a little bit more on a positive note. What were your thoughts on the inauguration in general, in terms of the speakers, Biden's inauguration speech? Like, what did you guys think of the inauguration overall? What was going through your mind? I Okay, two words. Amanda Gorman. Yes. Let, let, let's just... Let's just like mic drop Amanda Gorman. Oh my God, the youngest national poet laureate for, you know, any inauguration in U.S. history, a Harvard graduate. She had some inspiring, some moving words to share with the American public. And it was just so, I was just, you know, I was just at a loss for words after, after her, you know, her poem. It was just, it was breathtaking. It was moving. It was emotional, you know. And on top of that, she was also one of the fashion icons, in my opinion. You know, all the all the people, all the ladies out there at the inauguration day. Yes. They literally, it was like a, a Victoria's Secret. 
fashion show, you know, we had <laughs> Dr. Joe Biden in that very royal blue outfit, right? We got Michelle Obama rocking that maroon, yes. you know, uh, trench coat with the gold belt. Um, it was just like Lady Gaga, Jennifer Lopez, their outfits were amazing as well. Like I couldn't take my eyes off of them. It was just, it was a beautiful day. It was a sunny day as well. It seemed so calm, normal. It didn't seem ominous as it was back in 2017 when Barack Obama had mm -hmm. to Trent give his power over to President Trump at the time. Um, you know, it just it seemed like a good day, and I think it was a good day because President Trump wasn't there. Um, you know, so even though he broke with tradition, I think it was for the better, in my opinion. <laughs> what about you guys? Was she was she the one in the pink or something or I, am I? Complete eye candy.
I do agree with both of you, but I also get what you mean, Raph, by like being torn because, you know, I kind of, I did like the sense of showmanship that came with the inauguration in terms of, I mean, the performances were great. Lady Gaga's dress was off the charts. J-Lo looked a little too much like Liberace for my liking, but that's okay. And, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, and Amanda Gorman's speech was like absolutely incredible. I was actually getting emotional as I was listening to her. She's like a mini Maya Angelou. Like she was just so amazing. Her poem was so inspiring. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really like the political posturing of it as much. I think, and it kind of goes back to what you said earlier, Raph, about, you know, kind of underestimating, um, you know, Trumpism and kind of downplaying. I felt like they were downplaying the divide and in, in terms of saying, you know, we got to heal together. We got to heal together. But also, like, you have to acknowledge, like, we're so different. It's easier said than done to just like we got to just say, like, oh, we got to heal together, you know, and it's funny because it even that sense of unity even showed itself in the fashion um, I was reading the I was reading like a New York Times headline uh, by one of their fashion critics, and they were saying that purple, yeah, purple was a really common theme, the mesh of the red and the blue. And for me, it was like, uh, I don't know. No, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because I saw like two completely different reactions to it on social media. For the most part, people were like, yeah, Biden, like Biden's in, Trump is out, like, thank God. And I heavily felt that myself. Like, I'm like, okay, at least Trump's not in office anymore. Like, thank God. And then there's also, yeah. And then I, there was a lot of like, um, but then a lot of my leftist friends and I, granted, like, I also could, I mean, I'm a, I, I consider myself like sort of to the left. I'm a socialist, but I was still at least happy that Donald Trump isn't in office anymore. But there was a lot of, a lot of my leftist friends were posting and they were like, oh, you know, everyone's forgetting about Biden's track record. And, you know, we're, we're kind of setting up a framework for complacency here. If we just ignore the bad and just celebrate the good. So I kind of felt torn. I felt a little bit of both of those, like viewpoints i don't know i those both resonated with me i don't know about you guys but um no oh, yeah mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, for sure. Michael, like, do you also kind of notice that as well? Like those conflicting ideologies, were they present to you on social media? I think, you know, one thing that politicians are good at is utilizing rhetoric. Posturing. In the case of, in the case of Trump, he weaponized rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in Biden's case, he is trying to use rhetoric to heal, to unify um, a very divided country. Um, and, you know, I think we need that sort of rhetoric right now because we've been so used to just hearing someone just completely, constantly bash not only, you know, the, the press, the media, but also just Democrats in general, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think I, I can understand why there were differing, you know, I guess, opinions about, you know, what went down on Inauguration Day, which was actually yesterday. So, um, but I think, I, I didn't really think too much into it. I just thought that it, it was important for, um, you know, for Inauguration Day to happen. As, you know, President Biden put it, democracy prevailed in spite of it all. And I think it was really important given what happened in the first week of January for this, you know, ceremony, this tradition mm-hmm. to happen. Um, and history was made yesterday, you know. Yeah. I think a glass ceiling was shattered with, you know, the swearing in of Vice President Kamala D. Harris as the first woman, the first uh, woman or person of color to be sworn in as Vice President. Um, as someone who is Asian American, I definitely, you know, see these milestones are being reached as we speak. And it just, it kind of like, it takes me back to when, you know, when Joe Biden was announced as the winner of the election back in, you know, mid-November, when Kamala D. Harris came out and spoke that night, Mm -hmm. and she said, I may be the first, but I will certainly not be the last. And that just really resonated with me, even to this day. And it's resonating to me, and it's resonating to not only young girls out there, but young uh, boys Mm -hmm. or young people of color now know that it is possible to reach these, you know, higher positions in office if they ever want to to run for office in the future. You know, it's it's possible now that Vice President Harris is in office. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we saw Hillary Clinton give it a shot for the highest position in office. It didn't work out in her in her case, but in Harris's case, you know, I do believe a glass ceiling was shattered. I do believe it is it is good for the nation. I do believe that it is you know, empowering and inspiring kids across the U.S. to know that, you know, um, they can do this if they put their minds to it. You know, it is possible, you know, um, as long as you put your minds to it. So I, I think history was made yesterday. I think, you know, it was important for this ceremony to be held yesterday. Um, and I think we just got to move forward and get to work. Absolutely. I got to say, that was the most emotional part of the inauguration for me was see it was, um, was seeing uh, Kamala Harris be sworn in. I, I got emotion. Yeah, like as a woman of color, like that was incredibly inspiring to see and just super duper cool. But just to jump off of your, po- off your point, Michael, speaking of moving forward, as a tie-in to the final question on this episode, how do you think this Biden administration is going to turn out? And what do you hope to see from the Biden administration? Basically, I like I said, I think it's really hard to tell right now because like I said before, the future is so unpredictable. And, you know, I think we're all just trying to get over the fact that Trump is finally out of office and we actually have, you know, another and a new president 
um, you know, in the Oval Office, one who's been trying to get the, to the presidency three times now, and I guess three times a charm for him. Um, but, you know, I, I expect it to, to be a more calmer, you know, uh, political climate. Uh, we'll see press conferences not be so, um, so controversial, so, uh, you know, one that doesn't sound like a debate, because um, oftentimes I feel like the past or the former press secretary was oftentimes trying to defend herself because she really couldn't defend herself in some of these cases um, from the press. Um, in terms of legislation, in terms of policy, I think a lot of people grilled President Biden for not really answering those questions about, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do your first 100 days, your first year in office? Um, but I think, you know, just the fact that he has already signed so many executive orders, some trying to undo the policies of the former administration, I think we're kind of going back to this, um, going back to some sort of Obama era where, you know, where the, the, the politics wasn't so partisan and, you know, people could have a conversation without fighting with one another. Um, you know, so I, I think, but the, the most important, uh, you know, policy and legislation that President Biden needs to sign and enact ASAP would be, you know, something that gives him a grip on the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, I, I heard and I read in the news recently that in New York State, we are close to running out of vaccines, right? And, you know, Operation Warp Speed, they planned on vaccinating 20 million people by the end of 2020. And they only got, I think, 2 million people out of the 20 million that they were targeting, right? So it, you know, I, I hope that Biden, you know, as much as he wants to kind of accelerate this, um, uh, you know, getting this vaccine out to the public, that he takes the time to really speak with health officials, you know, um, talk with the World Health Organization, because I know um, Dr. Fauci, uh, you know, recently today, you know, earlier today, he announced that, you know, the U.S. was still in contact with the WHO, which is important, right? So, you know, I think the first big thing on his agenda will be the COVID-19 pandemic and trying to handle it. But at the same time, we know we have this lurking impeachment trial ready to be, you know, housed on the Senate floor. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that Biden has to resolve really quickly, um, but he also has to do it in a manner that, you know, he takes the time to thoroughly think out his decisions and, um, you know, do what's best for the country at this point. Very eloquently put, for sure. Um, yeah, and Raf, what do you think? Um, well, you probably wouldn't believe it based off of a bunch of answers that I've given in the past hour. But I actually have a lot of confidence and hope placed into the Biden administration, believe it or not. <laughs> and my hope and confidence is kind of just this. Just do a little better. You know, like part of the reason why, like, I don't completely disapprove of Biden is the fact that I think Biden as just like, you know, a moral, somewhat moral human being actually cares about a modicum of respect. When dealing with other people and i think that's a quality that i think everybody should have president or not clearly it wasn't a value that was clearly valued in the last administration so i'm hoping this administration could at least do that 
And respect just, you know, that entails a lot of things. You know, it's a matter of cur- simple things like courtesy, common courtesy when dealing with somebody. And it's also just a matter of like, you know, having consideration for the problems or the ideas that other people bring to the table. You know, uh, Donald Trump and a lot of his followers have a bit of a hard time doing that. A lot of us in the Democratic tent have a lot of problems doing that as well. And I think the reason why now specifically, it might be important to have a centrist Democrat running the White House is because at least with him or someone like him, we can have that kind of respect at least coming into the table, the, like the idea reintroduced into the American political mindset, you know, into all of our ideas. You know, it's not about just like, oh, it's politics, so you don't have to respect the other person. No, it's politics, but that involves also just, you know, extending some ounce of goodwill to the other side. So in that notion, yes, I think I have some kind of confidence in Joe Biden and his administration. And I sure hope that he will take that idea and modicum of respect uh, up to the highest place of government, all the way to the lowest uh, and like furthest reaches of the country, you know? For sure. I mean, I think I it's funny because I agree with both of you guys, but then I also have like a, I don't want to say a cynical point of view about the whole thing, but I, I think like, I have confidence in Biden in terms of his ability to get the COVID-19 um, pandemic under control, at least in the United, in the U.S., I mean, you know, I have co- I have confidence in him in terms of that, because I feel like he actually cares about the American people, unlike the other president that we had. I also firmly believe I mean, he's just a much more respectable, respectable figure. And I think that's actually key to kind of mending a lot of the foreign relationships that we've had with other nations that has kind of been. Um, fractured as a result of the Trump administration, right? It seems like we've almost closed ourselves off from a lot of the world. So the fact that Biden has that decorum of respect is actually really important in terms of foreign policy anyway. Um, With Biden, the only thing I'm not, here's the thing, I feel like um, I'm not a, a big fan of like centrism as a whole. I feel like it's ineffective it just maintains the status quo and it doesn't really accomplish mu- much. It just keeps, it just perpetuates the systems that have already been put in place, right? And a lot of the people that voted for Biden, right, are people that are more progressive, more liberal than him, like to the left, right? So, yeah. See, that's, a, that's, a, that's like, that's the, that's the double edged sword about centrism, right? You're right. It keeps up the status quo, it doesn't exactly change anything. But the but here is the reason why in this particular scenario, in this particular election, why we kind of needed it. We needed somebody who was able to fill all the broad range opinions that fit within the Democratic tent. Everyone from leftists to socialists to Midwestern moderates to New York liberals to old money Connecticut people live in Greenwich to like every single person with left wing ideals had to come around this one guy if we had to get rid of Donald Trump. That was the most important thing. That was the goal in mind. That was the goal going into the 2020 primaries and into the general election, right? And we've accomplished that. That's what we needed to do. That's what we got done. I think the reason that a lot of political posturing and propaganda was done is because he's a centrist. And then in there, we can start, uh, you know, ridic- uh, like, you know, uh, critiquing him and like uh, say, like criticizing like certain policies or certain things because then at that point 
we know that we have to now hold him accountable, except we also have to recognize that a lot of the work to remove Trump and remove that notion has been done. But we also realize we need to work forward and move forward ahead. What I like about Biden, though, is the fact that he seems to kind of understand that. Mm -hmm. And he seems to kind of understand that he is accountable to a lot of people in large Democratic sense, including the left. You know, there is this notion where he, I, I'm not sure for which position in his cabinet, but he recently put forward the first trans, openly transgender woman um, in like his administration. Yeah, yeah I thought that was pretty, pretty good. He wants people working for him to be people who represent America. And when somebody who uses language like that is in the highest office in our country, I respect that. I resonate with that. And I think us as New Yorkers and as members of the Democratic Ten should also definitely resonate with that as well. For sure. I mean, this is just it's a really complicated issue, right? It, like, at, it's it's possible to hold all these different viewpoints and for them to all be true at the same time. I think that's what I've realized towards over the course of this election cycle. You know, yeah, like by like Biden got Trump out of office, but yeah, we also need to hold him accountable. So, yeah, that was that was perfectly put. Um, but yeah, so do you guys have any other like final thoughts before we wrap up? Anything that you guys would like to add? One word. Oh, two words. Two words, two words. Just breathe. Just breathe. That's all I got to say. Yes. Mic drop moment. <laughs> what I got to say is keep your eyes open. You never know what you're to expect. Always expect that like something is going to not go the way you expect it to go, especially given our politics. Fair point. Yeah. yeah and on that note of sagely advice michael raf thank you so much for being on the show this was so much fun considering it's a convo about politics i had a pretty awesome time this was great i feel like we need to make this a tradition <laughs> hannah we'll, we'll back in 2022 when midterm elections <laughs> happen and then 2024 and see if biden happens yeah he wants to run for re-election if he if he is willing to run for re-election yeah you know we there's a lot to talk about you know we got we got a lot more years ahead hey, of hopefully. us, so it's, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully, yeah, definitely. That'd be an amazing idea, for sure. All right, so this is Tea for Three, where we sip the tea and spill the deets. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Bye. Yay! Mm-hmm.